Well, I trust you'll be joining with me and my family as we're praying for uh, Scott, for Danny and the kids, that they will recover quickly and that uh, the symptoms they have will be pretty minor as they walk through this. So I'm grateful for that. The way this went down is I got a text Friday morning. I was still in bed. Um, Scott wakes up much earlier than I do on a daily basis. And I got a text saying, uh, help. And so um, what was nice about it is that that means his sermon was already fully prepped. So he sent me the sermon. And I've preached thousands of times. I've never preached someone else's sermon. So this is a new thing for me. I, I want you to know this is his sermon. Um, <laughs> yeah, for that reason, but also because, you know, Scott's such a great preacher and a great leader within our church. And I am honored to sit under his teaching week by week. And so I want you to know that um, what you're hearing is uh, from his heart. And if anything benefits you today, if you grow in your walk with Christ, if you're able to take some steps forward, I want you to know that's because of his continued ministry, even when he's unable to be here today. What do you think of when you see this? Some of you are thinking we need to get to a gas station quickly. Some of you are thinking, "Ah, I got some time here. This is good. How about this one? (laughs) Now, those of you who on that previous picture were thinking it's time to go to the gas station, you've never seen this before. You had no idea that there's an actual warning light to tell you when you're running out of gas. Some of you, when you see this, are thinking, you know, I'm sure they give some time after this light goes on. I bet I can get, I wonder how many miles I can get out of this um, before I really need to be at the gas station. And you know, the um, lights that we have in our car and the, the, the gas tank reminds us of something that's important and that that's that we have image, we have limits. We hate the idea of limits. We want to be unlimited but we face the limits in life. We, we love not having limits. We want unlimited data. We want unlimited miles when we rent a car. We want unlimited access. I was thinking about a, a website that I like, and you can get a certain number of things for free, but then you have to pay if you want some of the other articles. And it drives me crazy. I don't want to pay. I just want the unlimited access. We want unlimited refills. Anybody else like me, when it's unlimited refills, you want to see how many you can get to get your money's worth out of that? (laughs) Unlimited minutes. Unlimited texts. Unlimited vacation. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) But we're not unlimited. We have limited time. We have limited energy. We have limited focus. We have limited capacity. And that's by design. Today we're going to be talking about how limits impact our relationships. And the title of today's message is Resetting Your Limits. We're in a series that Pastor Scott's had us on called um, Help, I Need a Relationship Reset. And the idea of this series, which was so smartly put right in this period of time here, is that we've been going through a period of time, a year and a half plus, where we've gone through things worldwide where relationships have been strained. And now we're coming into a season 
that we face annually where we, we can struggle some with relationships as we have family coming in town or where we're spending time with extended family and there's things that we might not always get along with and there's um, relationships that may have been a struggle and we, we're taking a little time back to think, how can we reset those relationships? Last week, was the first of a two-part series. Last week was a sermon called Resetting Your Judgmentalism. And if you've missed any of the sermons here or you missed last week's, you can go to our website. You can hear the sermons. You can go back and have last week's. You know, last week's had the idea that, that some of us go through periods of time where we face an issue And even though it's an issue where the Bible would give us freedom on it, we may have an opinion of here's what it should be. And we struggle with thinking everyone else should join us with that same idea. That if everyone else isn't doing it the same way we're doing it, that we start to get a little judgmental of them. We start to feel a little bit inferior to them. We start to have contempt for them. And so we talked about how to respond to others, especially when our conscience might be a little more sensitive and we see things more strictly than others. If you're a person who tends to get offended by others who might be pushing the boundaries of their freedom by the people who are pushing the gas tank right to the very end, then last week was for you. And Pastor Scott promised that if last week wasn't for you, then this week would be for you and that he was going to challenge you on that. And then he pushed me out here. (laughs) Last week's sermon was, it's easy to turn your personal convictions into contempt for others. And as we look at this week's passage, as we continue on in in Romans, there's a few things that I want to highlight for us as we come into this text to help us understand this text a little bit more. We got two levels, three issues, and two groups. And if we just briefly cover those, it's going to help us to understand this passage just a little bit more. There's two levels of importance. There are things in Scripture that are essentials. They're very clear. They're laid out in Scripture. It's right or it's wrong. And then there's non-essentials. This passage today concerns number two. It concerns non-essentials. It explores area where Scripture neither requires nor prohibits it. So today we're looking at non-essentials. And there's three issues that are part of the history of what this text is about. The first area is eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And it'd be like kind of going to fries today, and you go into fries, and there'd be two different meat sections. One section of meat was meat that's been sacrificed to other gods. And then they were able to to package it up and you could buy that meat that was sacrificed to other gods. And then there's another section with meat that wasn't sacrificed to other gods. Except in the fries of that day, there probably wasn't that second section. If you wanted to buy meat, it was often your only choice was the meat that was sacrificed to idols. And there were people that really struggled with, with, is it okay to eat that meat? And maybe they came out of a background where they had worshipped some of those idols before, and it was just drawing them right back into that worship. 
That was one of the issues they were facing. Another was observing holy days. If you're a Christian, are you bound by the Jewish holy days? And to observe them as would have been done throughout the past. Third issue, drinking wine that may have been involved in an idol sacrifice. Was that okay to do? Then we have two groups. Group one, mostly Jewish Christians, not fully, but mostly Jewish Christians, who tended to be more strict, tended to see these as right or wrong. Maybe would tend towards a little bit more legalism. And then you had the second group, mainly Gentile Christians. Maybe a little more focus on liberty. Would tend themselves towards license, would tend themselves towards pushing the boundaries a little bit. And with that context, we can get to today's passage. And the big idea today, our freedom in Christ has a bigger purpose than our own selfishness. And our freedom in Christ has limits that are beyond our own preferences. That our freedom isn't about us. Our freedom in Christ has a bigger purpose than our selfishness and limits beyond our preferences. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. We're going to look at this passage together. If you have your Bible, you can turn there or turn your Bible on your phone or other device. Um, If you're here or even if you're at home and you'd like to, can you stand with me as we read God's word together? Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it's unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, don't let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but instead is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean. But it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It's a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. 
Heavenly Father, as we come into this text today, I pray that you'd help us to understand it. I pray that you would um, use the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts, to help us to understand this text, but to transform us from the inside out, to live this within our church, within our community, and throughout the world. We offer this to you, God, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. We're talking about freedom in the family of God, and there's three reminders about freedom in the family of God that we're going to look at today. The first reminder is this. There are real limits to our freedom. Think of this from couple of the passages we just read from verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. For some of you, that's a new concept. Freedom with limits. It sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? That I have freedom, but there's limits on my freedom. Well, it depends on how you understand freedom. Freedom with limits is not an oxymoron to Jesus. How do we determine if we're abusing our freedom? How do we determine if freedom has exceeded its limits? Three questions that we should ask ourselves. Question one, does the use of my freedom produce peace? If it's creating divisiveness within the body of Christ, then I'm probably abusing my freedom. Does it produce peace? Does it build others up? Does it harm others or cause them to stumble? You know, a picture that's been very helpful to me as I've thought about my own growth is if I think of myself as standing here and the the place where I want to be in maturity of Christ is uh, me up in the balcony. Um, I can't get from here to the balcony right now. I, I don't have that ability. But I do have the ability to do this. Today I could take one step closer. I could move one step further. As I consider the liberty I have, the freedom that I have, does that freedom help people take a step forward? Because if the use of my freedom is not creating peace, If everyone's talking about uh, whatever I'm doing in my freedom that's causing someone else to struggle, if everyone's talking about that, then we're not taking steps forward towards Christ. We're focused on an issue that isn't important. If I'm so focused on my freedom that I'm not helping build others up, then what's happening is I'm not helping someone else take their step forward in Christ. And even worse, the use of my freedom could be hurting someone. It could be making them take a step back. 
I've overstepped my bounds. I'm using my freedom to hurt if it doesn't produce peace, if it doesn't build others up, if it harms others or causes them to stumble. God's vision for freedom is different because his vision is bigger than any one person. And it's a hard concept to embrace because we live in a culture that's divined by individualism and personal concern. You know, take an example. Maybe you're a person where having a glass of beer or wine with dinner isn't a problem to you. You don't feel a conviction about that. But let's say you're having dinner with someone who struggles with that. Maybe they believe that it's a sin and they can't get past that. Or maybe even worse, they've come out of a life of alcohol abuse and that this could cause them to stumble. At that meal, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I have freedom to have a glass of wine or a beer with my dinner. But I'm not going to insist on my freedom if it's going to tear down somebody else. Because my freedom isn't about me exercising my freedom. It's about something bigger that's going on within the body of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. See the distinction he draws there? You have freedom, but is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Is it good? Everything is permissible for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. Maybe a question as we come out of this first point that you want to think about, or maybe with your uh, community group this week you want to think about. Are there things that you're willing to sacrifice your freedom for? Are there things where you're willing to say, you know what, I have freedom in that area, but there's times I'm not going to exercise that freedom because there's something bigger going on here. So first reminder about freedom and the family of God, there's limits to our freedom. Second one, exercising your freedom is guided by your conscience. Exercising your freedom is guided by your conscience. Here's the passage here in Romans 14, 14 that we read earlier. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, so their conscience says, no, that's unclean. Even though it's clean, in their conscience they feel it's unclean. To that one, it's unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. Don't destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. 
It's a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. Conscience serves as a guardrail. You know guardrails on the highway? And you think of where guardrails are. Um, We have the road and there's uh, maybe several lanes that we're able to drive on. And then there's a margin on the side. And then there's often even a little space beyond the margin. And then there's the guardrail. And what the guardrail's doing is the guardrail is keeping us um, from something that's really dangerous on the other side. It might be cars coming in the other direction. It might be a cliff and you're going down. Now, think of that if you've got three lanes that you're able to drive in and you've got then some extra area on the side and then you have the guardrail. Um, the people that uh, Scott was focusing on last week, um, where are they driving? They're in the middle lane, right? You're in the middle lane and the danger of someone in, in that spot is they're in the middle lane and it could be easy to start to think, you know, I'm in the middle lane. Why isn't everybody else in the middle lane? This is the only lane that it makes sense to drive in. And so you start to get judgmental of people who aren't in the middle lane. Look at those crazy people getting close to the edge. And then for the people that we're we're focusing on in our passage today, those are the folks that that are driving more on the side there. And maybe even a few times you sort of bump into the, the guardrails. Have you driven by guardrails and you see them sort of dented out? And you want, I wonder what the story behind that is. I wonder what happened there. Conscience comes from this Greek word, has the idea of moral awareness or moral consciousness. When you think of um, just breaking down the word um, science to know, a con with, to know with, that, that you know something, the idea here is um, that you know with your head and hearts. Conscience is knowing something with your head and hearts. And, and, and it's just this awareness that, you know, that's not a good idea. We want to beware of numbing our conscience. And we numb our conscience when over time we start to ignore it. Over time, we're, we're starting to hit the guardrails time and time again of this danger that's on the other side. And pretty soon, it just starts to become normal. We're not realizing there's a danger over there. It's a great quote from D.A. Carson, a theologian. He says, Paul judges it dangerous for Christians to defy their consciences Because if they get in the habit of ignoring the voice of conscience, they may ignore that voice even when the conscience is well informed and properly warning them of something that is positively evil. That our conscience is warning us about something. And if we ignore it, at some point, 
we do so at our peril. Maturity is not just having a strong conscience. It's also being able to weigh things and then to make a good decision based on what our conscience is telling us. If you have a doubt, don't. If it causes you to pause, pay attention and wait. If you feel that convicted that it's a sin, stop. And you know what? Others might not arrive at the same conclusion, but that's okay. So we're looking together at some of the limits to our freedom. The first one, there's real limits to our freedom. The second, exercising our freedom is guided by our conscience. The third one, our freedom is driven by a bigger purpose than you. It's Christ and his kingdom. The freedom that we have is driven by a bigger purpose than us. And that purpose is Christ and our kingdom and his kingdom. This point is so important for today. This point is so good. Pastor Scott, if you're watching, good job on this point. Um, I like all the points. All the points are good. But this point, really good point. Um, Freedom isn't the ultimate thing. It's not we are free, period. It's we are free so that... And it's not we're free so that we could do whatever we want. It's not we are free so that we can carry out our freedom in any way that we want. We are free so that we can become more like God and so that we can advance the kingdom of God. That's what our freedom's about. It's not just about being free. There's a so that that follows it. We are free so that we can be more like God and so that we can advance his kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't tear down God's work because of food. It's about God's work. It's not about our freedom. Everything is clean, but it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. Our ultimate goal isn't to be free. Our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus and to build his kingdom. Your purpose is bigger than just about you. And we struggle with this partly because in our country we value freedom so much. You know, we see the world through the glasses we wear. And I've got glasses right now with clear lens on it. Um, I I can go to Dr. Bundy's office and I could get their um, glasses with different tint on it and I would see the world through that tint. It's easy for us to view the world through a red, white, and blue tint. 
to view it based on the freedom that we have and that we love in our country. And we can interpret passages based on that. And so what we need to do sometimes is back up and say, what is this passage saying regardless of the tent that I may have that's a natural part of how I see the world? We're all vulnerable to seeing and reading Scripture with a filter. You know, this passage said in here that, that the kingdom is not God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And that's because that's what the temptations were. That's what the issue was that everyone was struggling with. And some were saying this is a big issue and we shouldn't be eating this meat. And some were saying, no, 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 it's fine to do that. And we're probably not struggling with that today. You're not going to the store today and saying, hey, should I buy this meat? I wonder if this was um, sacrificed to some other God that I'm not a part of. Um, but there's lots of things that we could put in here. Just think of anything that we sometimes do disagree about in our culture the kingdom of god it's not a matter of school choice and the type of school you send your kid to instead the kingdom of god is about becoming more like jesus and about advancing his kingdom the kingdom of god is not about your political party winning Did he go there? Yeah, he went there. (laughs) The kingdom of God is not about what kind of music style we sing in church. Take anything else that we disagree with in society. And you can start to think about it in terms of these issues. What purpose is driving your freedom? What are you exercising your freedom for? To those who feel freedom, don't flaunt it. To those who feel strict, don't expect others to be strict like you. Because whenever we do either of those two things, we stop focusing on who God is, we stop focusing on the kingdom of God, and we're focusing on our own preferences. A few next steps for you. First one. Identify what your conscience tendency is and keep that in mind relationally. Do you tend to be the person that's driving in that middle lane and, and, and this is just obviously the right way and everyone else should be doing this and I don't know why they are? Or do you tend to be pushing the limits a little bit? What's your natural tendency? Identify what your natural tendency is. You know, part of the challenge for me is when I was a younger Christian, I tended to be um, on the weaker side. In other words, I had an area and I knew that I was right on this and, and I was judgmental of anyone else that was not following the same way that I was following. And I've tended to move to the other side now um, and the side of, of um, license and, and trying not to judge people and those kind of standards. And, and yet sometimes I bounce back and forth. 
It depends on the issue. I even noticed I was driving to church this morning and I started to think of something um, and, and a way that I prefer to do it. And then I started to think, I wonder why, why this person doesn't do that. And then the Holy Spirit was like, man, you're about to preach on this subject. <laughs> well, what are you doing? You don't deserve to be preaching on this subject, but you're the last man standing. There's no other choice. <laughs> and so um, I, I started to feel that conviction of that because it's so easy to fall into. But figure out what is your natural tendency towards this? And that leads directly into the next thing. Anticipate the temptation related to what you just answered in number one. If you're in the weaker, the one we talked about last week, and that's the phrase that Paul uses for that, it's to hold others to your standard. This is the way it should be. This is what's right. Everyone else should be doing this. It's to judge others. It's to become arrogant. If you're on the one we're talking about more today, it's to look down on others because they're not living the same way you're not. They're not living that same freedom. Man, they're just legalists. To be dismissive of them, to become indulgent, to start to bang into the boundaries. And it's so important to know which one you tend towards and what your temptation is because this impacts your relationships with other people. This directly impacts how you relate with other people. Third thing, look for ways to build others up and to pursue unity. Regardless of what area you stand on, look for ways in which you could build others up and you could be pursuing unity. You know, we're not responsible for others. Um, back in Romans 14, 10 through 12, which was last week, um, the passage talked about how we all stand before God, we'll all be judged, we're all responsible for ourselves but we are responsible to them. We can help build others up. We cannot put stumbling blocks in their way. We can help remove stumbling blocks. We can strengthen them. We can strengthen the unity that we share. And finally, treat your freedom the way that Jesus did his. See, we come back to the example of Jesus. Think of what Jesus did. Because Jesus had full freedom. He's fully God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Don't treat your freedom as just being about yourself or about being right. But in humility, consider others as more important than you. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude of the Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, he was fully God. He is fully God. But he didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't say, no, I'm just staying here in heaven where everything is great. I have the freedom to do that. But I'm not going to exercise my freedom that way. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And if he just said, you know what, I'm free. I don't need to do that. The cross never happens. The cross is the ultimate example of saying, I'm going to limit my freedom because I'm going to build the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to spend a few minutes remembering what Jesus did. You probably got communion elements when you came in today. And if so, you'll want to get those ready. That we as a church want to regularly remember the most important things. We don't come regularly to talk about the non-essentials. We come regularly to talk about the essentials. (laughs) That Jesus is God. That he came to this world that he died for us so that we could have life. So that we could have the freedom that we're talking about. And Paul, when he's writing about this in 1 Corinthians, tells us that he received from the Lord what he also now delivers to them, the Corinthian church. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took some bread. And he gave thanks for it. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. (coughs) Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he reminds us again of why we do this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our freedom. Thank you that Jesus died to free us from our slavery to sin from the binds that tied us. And I pray that we would be people that with our freedom would be pursuing you in every way. That we would be using our freedom to build up the kingdom of God. 
that we would be using our freedom to passionately pursue you. God, forgive us for the times when our freedom becomes about us. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of putting ourselves on center stage. It's all about you, Jesus. We want it to be all about you. As we wrestle with this passage and the passage from last week, God, may we be men and women of God who are committed to you wherever you lead us. May we be men and women of God who are passionate about you, who are passionate about what you're doing in this world, who are passionate about what's to come in eternity. We love you, God. Thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.